So we are facing a lot of challenges on earth, and that's really an understatement. And we all know this, and it's really your approach to that knowledge, that awareness that matters the most. What do you do when you become aware of challenges on the planet or in your environment, your community, your family? What do you do with those challenges? Do you get really optimistic about it and and cheerlead what's been called toxic positivity? Or do you look deeper at those challenges and look for a solution? Do you remain optimistic in the middle of the tragedy? Today's conversation is with Paul Zelizer of Awarepreneurs, and we'll be talking about tragic optimism. Join us to find out more. Well, hello and welcome, everybody. This is Carrie Hummingbird back for another episode of Soul Nectar Show. I'm quite sure some of you wondered if I disappeared off the planet because I actually missed a month or so of episodes. Can you believe that? I never missed any for like seven years. And then for some reason, I just needed to take a pause. And sometimes we need to take that sacred pause. We just need to go, you know what? Let me take a breath. What is this podcast really about? What do I really want to do now? Because I might've been doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it's like, just decide, gosh, I want to do something new now. I want to go into a new direction. And only through that sacred pause and that really letting everything land in my heart. You know, I've, I've had such an amazing journey with you guys over the last seven years and like all the topics we've explored and all the things we poked at and (laughs) looked underneath the rock of and explored and went down the rabbit tunnel of and when, what is that thing about? And I'm so into doing more of that. And that's kind of where we're going to start this conversation today, because as you guys know, I really believe that there's such value in exploring the shadow and really letting it open us, exploring the challenges, exploring the difficulties, the things that we say are difficult or that shouldn't be so. And actually, rather than continuing to argue with those things, to actually ask the question, what's it for? Why is that here? And they must have a place because if everything is perfect, then it has its perfect place and its timing is impeccable. And so as we look out into the world and we see the destruction and we see the dismantling and we see even the resurrection of some things that we thought were long gone and then we go, oh my gosh, it's still there. And we wonder why is that still there? (laughs) And and we might be still arguing with some, some things in our reality that we wish were just not so. And at the same time, wondering, like, how does that relate to my very clear knowing that I'm on the planet at this time here to evolve the consciousness into another spiral of human awareness, into another potential, into an evolution, into dragonfly, you know, becoming a new species, homo luminous. So how does all of that relate together? How does that all belong together? 
And one of the ways that me and many of you and many of our friends have dealt with some of the horrible things out there in the world is like becoming really extra positive. Like it's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out. Don't worry. No problems. And at some level, like sometimes a cheerleader is exactly what you need because you're going through a dark night of the soul and you're like, oh my God, this is terrible. And so you need somebody to say, keep going. Kind of like when I did this marathon way back in the day, 2019, and I was on mile 19, ironically enough. Actually, it was earlier than that. I'm sorry. It was way earlier than that. When was the marathon? I don't know. Dozens and dozens, like a dozen years ago. And I was on mile 19 and I was ready to give up because as you know, when you get to mile 19, you're like, this is it. I just can't go one more step. I am so done with this marathon. Get me to the finish line. Where's my beer? And then my family was there and they said, mom, don't give up. Don't give up because you know how much you love the medal. And I have to admit, I'm a medal lover. I really do love my medals. I've got them on the wall. I love my medals. And I keep going. And do you know that my two young sons, they were very young at the time. So this was years and years and years ago. They actually ran the last mile with me. They actually took a hand on either side and helped me get myself across the finish line so I could get my medal. And so they earned that medal with me. And I have that picture on the wall to remind me every day that we can't do this alone, people. And we're not meant to, and we're not to, we're not really meant to look the other way. And you know what? For many of you raised in my generation of with the pretty pictures in our minds about how life is supposed to be so pretty. And we keep trying to make it pretty like that. And then, okay, I really think that needs to go. And I think we're going to have a conversation all about this kind of stuff today. As a matter of fact, I know we are. That's why I set it up this way. We're going to have an amazing conversation today about all this topic here. What do we do with what's happening? How do we be with it? What's the most supportive way to be with it? We are alchemizing everything. So what's the most supportive way to alchemize it? So today I have with me the beautiful, the wonderful, the, uh, the wise, the heart open, the compassionate, positive masculine, I would say, figure. He's looking at me crazy right now. He's like, what? What are you saying? Paul Zelizer of Awarepreneurs. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for having me, Carrie. And thank congratulations on your podcast. Seven years, I have some idea what that takes. And when I say congratulations, it's an informed congratulations. And I'm smiling because, not because I'm toxically positive, because I just love it. I actually really love having these conversations. It keeps me going. So Paul is one of the first business coaches to focus on the needs of social entrepreneurs and impact business leaders. He's the former director of social media for Wisdom 2.0, one of the premier conscious business brands in the world. And in 2017, he founded Awarepreneurs. Uh, two of the things the company is known for is our, as a popular social entrepreneur podcast and the awareness Awarepreneurs community, a global network of hundreds of uh, social entrepreneurs who support each other in growing businesses, increasing positive impact, and enhancing well-being. And good news, we got to have community to do this because being a lone wolf is no longer the model anyway, and it's too hard. So why would you do it? <laughs> do it with friends. So Paul, like you've done some podcasts of yourself on this topic of, you know, toxic positivity and, and how we deal with the tragic things happening in the world in a way that is actually going to move things forward rather than just kind of like waving a banner. So what, what where do you want to start this conversation? Because I'm sure you, you had some things to say based on what I said. First of all, let me just say, I was just reliving. I, I did an ultra marathon a couple, not last weekend, but the weekend before down in Arizona. And one of our party was sick. And, you know, we were 
in an Airbnb, spending a lot of time. I woke up Sunday morning with a 60K race to row, and I was throwing up <laughs> the morning of my ultra marathon. Couldn't keep anything down, right? And, and I was like, am I going to quit? And I, like before I even started, I felt terrible. I had a headache. And I decided, well, let me just go to the starting line and let me just see, right? And, uh, you know, threw up a couple more times at the starting line and got off slowly and wound up having one of the best races of my life, right? As like the day went on, I was able to get some food and some calories and some liquids in me and just, it all just cleared, right? So anyway, I was just thinking of that story as you were telling your marathon story. Sometimes we go through hard things and it's not an analogy for me about, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Like I've, I've been in these spaces for a long time, many decades and have an awareness-based counseling degree and worked at Omega Institute for Holistic Studies many years ago. So anyway, I just wanted to give listeners a little sense, like these conversations are conversations I've been swimming in for a long time. And it's still, you know, it's Sunday morning and I'm not feeling good. And I'm supposed to run the, the ultra marathon. And it's a real challenge to find resiliency, right? So I just wanted to be transparent I've been in it a long time and it's not like suddenly somebody waved a magic wand and everything's rainbows and unicorns. It's it's not. It's a conscious decision. So you're not like at the peak and then you just got there and you can just like throw the rope down for everybody else while you exactly Exactly. (laughs) You know, I'm down for a margarita occasionally, but that's not what we're talking about here. So culturally, I think it's helpful for folks to understand. My family are progressive Jews. I'm not particularly religious, but the the cultural part of Judaism definitely informs who I am and how I see the world. And one of the, not just in Judaism, but certainly in Judaism, Viktor Frankl and his book, Man's Search for Meaning, is has a very, it's had an outsized impact on my life. And when it comes to this conversation, there's it's not the majority of the focus, it's kind of told in passing. But if you look carefully there, there's so much wisdom in a story. So Viktor Frankl wrote that book in a concentration camp. A little bit hard to imagine. How could somebody be talking about meaning and values and purpose? But hold on and listen to the story. What they observe there is that the people who are like super positive and being like, this is all going to pass. And yeah, it's horrible. But by next week, like, we're going to be out of here. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Just like keep your spirits up. Those were the folks who broke the first. It didn't last a week. It lasted years. And the folks who had that almost reactive positivity, right? Victor Frankl literally calls it toxic positivity. That's the first time I've ever heard anybody use that. Did he get it from somebody? I don't know. But he's the first one I know who used that language. So if you've ever used the word toxic positivity, you're standing on Victor Frankl's shoulders. And what they really learned there is that there was a more, there's like a deeper, more sustainable, more like, okay, we may be here for a while. and. These are really hard circumstances, but even in really hard circumstances, we as humans have the capacity to be resilient. And what what contributes to that resiliency, even in his case, in the midst of a concentration camp where people you love are dying, that I've never faced any, I've, I've faced some hard things in my life, right? But nothing that ever got that close, right? So those stories and what they learn there and the short version of it is if you read Man's Search for Meaning, what Viktor Frankl is encouraging us to do is to find meaning 
to really be clear about our values and to live our values, which leads to a sense of purpose. And that's how you get resiliency, even in really hard times. And when you don't have that, humans tend, the harder the experience, the more humans tend to flounder. That's like the Cliff Notes version of Man's Search for Meaning. But that story and that acuteness of like toxic positivity breaks under hard circumstances and that there's something deeper, there's another kind of resilience that's not so attached to outcomes in our timelines, but rather is about finding meaning and purpose in the exact circumstances that we're in, working for really good things to happen, whether that was a young woman in the same concentration camp who took it on herself. There's a popular book now called The Librarian of Auschwitz, and she took it on herself to get books. And having a book in a concentration camp would get you killed. But she decided to teach the kids. That was her sense of meaning, that even under horrible circumstances, she wanted the next generation to be educated, to be literate, and to have meaning and purpose through learning and through meaningful conversation. And she risked her life for that to happen. That's one of the examples. There's many, many examples of people under extreme circumstances who found meaning and dedicated themselves to a sense of purpose, even in really challenging times. And and reading about that and being in dialogue about that, I realized there was a deeper resiliency than that sort of toxic positivity that I see a lot of in the sort of conscious living world. And I see that same phenomenon, people who take that approach, when things get really hard, they tend to break, they tend to collapse. Yeah, I think it's, there's so much to explore here because, well, first of all, most of us in the Western world don't really have anywhere near the pain and trauma to deal with that our ancestors have dealt with or that people in other parts of the world are dealing with now. And so we have this sort of really cushy armchair quarterback sort of space to be hanging out in where, you know, it's really a huge space of privilege. And what we're doing with that privilege, I find interesting. What I would like to see us do with that privilege is to really dig into ourselves, you know, whenever we think that something is too toxic. Because what I see people doing, and especially in the light worker community, is like just sort of deciding to retreat into a column of light, right? Like, I'm just going to keep retreating into a column of light until nothing bothers me. Instead of, oh, that thing's bothering me huh, I wonder why I'm curious now about that pain or that discomfort that I'm feeling of being around a certain person. What does that have for me in a bigger context of maybe my life or other lifetimes or the planet? Where is that on my spectrum of something that I can engage with and bring love, compassion, and understanding to in order to alchemize that energy, you know, in order to bring more strength to myself too, more integrity? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's layers. And as I've grown as in my own spiritual journey, the layers that are most engaging to me now are different than layers that are were most interesting to me at other phases of the journey. So for me, at this phase of my journey, the world is on fire. You know, I believe in climate change and I scout for several climate-focused VCs, and I work with a lot of social entrepreneurs who are working on some of the hardest problems on our planet today. And I I think of a dear friend of mine, a deeply spiritual woman, and here in New Mexico, we would call her, I I would call her a comadre, right? Uh, A sister from another mister, (laughs) right? Uh, Genevieve Chavez uh, Mitchell. 
And Genevieve's writing a book on money and spirituality. And uh, we do, in addition to personally being friends, we do a lot of community work together. And Genevieve talks about sometimes in the conscious living world and just in our society in general, we frame a lot of things for me, my, you know, it's, it's a very individualistic culture. And yet we're deeply wired. And if you look at indigenous communities around the world, they talk about that the true path to happiness doesn't come from an isolated individual human being. That's ego. I'm going to withdraw into my ego and find some safe way where I'm constantly like, I'm just on the like, a friend of mine calls it the the clown wire smile, like the wire hanger, you like wire your mouth into this smile that perfectly stays the same every single day, like rinse and repeat. That reality is, it's not something I chase anymore. And what Genevieve talks about as a antidote to that me mind is we and ours. And that way of being is something that has become increasingly important to me personally. It's not like it wasn't important, but it's become more important. And it's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. I'm I'm very blessed. I live a good life, 16 years in business. People know my name. I have one of the top social entrepreneur podcasts on the planet. Work comes to me. I don't go chase down work anymore. Like, And I live very simply. It's not hard for me to meet my needs. Um, I'm very grateful that is not true for every planet, on, every person on the planet. But at this phase, it's not about getting a bigger car or a bigger house or, you know, I'm a trail runner. So like, yeah, I want a new pair of trail running shoes when the old one wore out, wore out right? Um, but mostly it's what brings me a lot of pleasure, what brings me a lot of sense of purpose in that deeper sense of meaning in really hard times. And all the, the the smart people that I trust are telling us we're headed for harder times, not easier times. As a collective, it's not going to get easier anytime soon. We have some really hard conversations to have. I'm very optimistic. I don't necessarily like this language. Viktor Frankl's language for how I approach my life is tragic optimism. He called himself a tragic optimist. He went through the Holocaust. Tragedy happens. And yet he was still an incredibly optimistic human. A lot of people are turned off by that particular language. Whatever it is, I take that approach where we're headed, we're in really rough times and they're going to get worse in the near term. But I am part of a very dynamic communities, both locally here in New Mexico and globally, that are having incredibly enriching, meaningful conversations about some of the hardest issues of our time. And just to be a part of it, to help entrepreneurs who are doing great things, to help leaders who are having the hard conversations, whether it's on my podcast or connecting them up with investors. Genevieve is an impact investor. My brother's an impact investor. Like I I have this very robust network that I can help connect people who are working on solutions, help them think through solutions, help them market those solutions. That's how I spend my days. And to me, I've never felt better as a human being, just physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And I am very optimistic, even though I don't know what's going to happen with some of these big challenges we're facing. Yeah, I love what you're talking about in terms of, it seems to me like what I've been realizing lately is that some of the way that some of the people in the second wave have been contributing towards uh, New Earth has been in creating infrastructures 
that are simultaneous with the existing structures, sort of as a way of building the new, even while the old is still present. And finding ways for those systems, those new systems to get connected with people who are waking up and ready for a connection with those systems so that they can get online, even as uh, the old systems are still sort of like trying to hang on and, and sort of falling apart at the seams. So there's like this two worlds happening at the same time. And, and here's where I get, and I don't know how you feel in your heart, but in my heart, I really feel that I'm here for everyone. And so my question in my mind is always, with such big paradigm shifts, how do we bridge to people who are really still in the mindset of the old paradigms? Can we bridge to them or do we simply need to focus on the existing communities, build that enough so that it gains enough power and momentum and awareness that people start to see, you know, because sometimes seeing is believing, right? And so are we in the creating the system so that they work so that seeing is believing and we and people can come over or what's what do you think is happening? It's a great it's a big question. question. Yeah, it is a big question. I think we each have to find our place with that and where we are in the continuum. I'm so busy these days. I, I'm an example. Tonight I'm a scout for a wonderful climate optimized retirement fund. And this is not just like lightly green not just like put green lipstick on a pig and call it a sustainable retirement fund. This is the most climate-optimized retirement fund I've seen anywhere on the planet. It's called Carbon Collective. So tonight, after regular work of interviews and scheduling people on my podcast and clients and all the things that I do, we're having a virtual scout-like happy hour, right? To meet other scouts the first time that particular group is meeting. I'm excited about it. And these are incredibly dedicated climate solution leaders who are helping this company that have really taken a leap and have moved the needle on what's possible. And, and, you know, when we decide what to do, if we have any retirement money whatsoever, many of us put more money into that pot of our lives every month, whether it's $50 or 5,000, like, you know, wherever you are in your income bracket depends on how much, but every month you're putting money into something if you are of that demographic. And most of us, even those of us who are doing, quote, sustainable investing, if you look deeply, Apple and Google count as sustainable investing because they're not oil companies <laughs> or Monsanto, right? And I'm not against Apple or Google, but that's not sustainable investing. The world is not going to sustain with putting a lot more money into Google in, in, in my best, you know, pretty informed opinion. So, you know, whereas Carbon Collective is looking at alternative proteins and electric vehicles and solar and sustainable agriculture, really pushing the needle in really beautiful ways in my opinion. So that's where I focus my attention is like, that's what I do all day. That's who I work with. That's who I interview. That's who I'm going back and forth with LinkedIn messages like, hey, you know, that's who I go for a hike with because some awesome young social entrepreneur here in Albuquerque will reach out. They hear my name and we go for a hike and tell me your idea and they pitch me and we hike. And then I say, hey, let me introduce you to someone. I do that all day, every day. It never stops except when I intentionally turn it off. But if I don't turn it off, it would go on for 24-7 and never stop from all around the world. That's my role. I feel good about that role. It took me a long time to serve in that role, accept that role, build the network, build the resources that I have something to offer people like that. And 
I do as much as I can and then I go play and then I'm with my loved ones. Like that's all I can do, Kara. I, I can't worry about the person who's not, if they're a climate denier, that's fine, right? Or they're like, whatever, I'm just going to work for an oil company because I like my big SUV and my giant house and I don't care about anybody else. It's not my job to go grab them by the ear and try to convince them. There's enough energy and momentum and really smart people, especially young people who are saying the world is on fire and we got to do something. And that's who I'm there to serve. That's beautiful. Thank you for that answer. I really appreciate that. For my own a part and my own awareness on this, I see that like even just living in Austin since 2005, I've watched the entire area just transform is not even the same place as it was when my parents moved here in 1992. And then it's, I mean, bam. And Austin is filled with all kinds of spirituality, right? It's just all over the place. So for me, I link it to spirituality, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I link that consciousness, that awareness. And it's like, you were talking about the separateness and the individual. It's like, that is part of the spiritual journey as you were talking about, but it's like, after that part where you have this sovereign, the sovereignty is really about releasing yourself from the old paradigms that don't serve anybody anymore and realizing who you really are. But then there's a return. It's like, oh, there's a more true. I am part of we. Ah, I'm part of this web of consciousness of humanity. Ah, I'm part of this web of, of the planet. Ah, I'm connected to the oceans, to the jungles, to the oh, I'm part of all that is, ah. And then at that point, it's like, I'm here to serve, right? Which is the, the spot you're in, the spot. I mean, I'm filling myself in that spot finally now, right? It's like, oh, I get it, clarity. I'm here to do whatever I can within my own life to bring this awareness out to as many people as willing to hear it, to up-level the consciousness and have these kind of conversations. And every time you have these conversations, they spur more consciousness and more awareness. And then that spreads and that lifts everybody else up, right? So, you know, people might listen to this and some people listen to this and go, what is she talking about? Other guys are like, yes, you know, but somewhere along the, it's putting seeds. And so we're planting a garden of new earth right here in everyone's brains as we converse. And so all these conversations you have on your podcast are doing the same thing. It's just like, because your heart is open and the energy is clear. Absolutely. And what I would encourage people who are wanting to film, you know, let's just back up a little bit. My first career was in community mental health, 15 years. I was an innovator in that space, mostly working with men and young men in that space. There weren't many frontline uh, clinicians and there still aren't many male clinicians, right? Who are working on a daily basis. So, so from the time I was an intern, I did a men's group and got trained in batter's intervention and was working with Single moms who had teens and were pulling their hair out, right? Like, oh, I wish I'd had you. <laughs> that's what I did for if 15 years. If only I had known right? you then. <laughs> yeah, 15 years. That's what I did, right? <laughs> so anyway, the world of well-being and, and emotional health. And, and let's just say the research is showing we are in a mental health collective crisis. Like we've never seen anything like this from, you know, youth and to the oldest of the old, right? Folks on their wisdom years. We are in a mental health, absolute freaking off the charts levels of anxiety, depression, suicidality, drug and alcohol addiction. It is off the charts. Right? So I'm just a very granular human. So we can talk about well-being and consciousness. Yes. And like humans, many humans right now are really suffering. And one of the things that 
when I look at places where I've I've suffered with various mental health issues throughout my life, I disclose that into therapy numerous times. So just let me just say that out loud, that when I find that sense of values, right? Stop grasping for the external things, that job, that relationship, that house, that whatever, that thing, right? That person who's going to make me feel better never lasted. There were moments, there were moments where some awesome things have happened in my life, but that wasn't sustainable. It would always, it would always come apart. It would be like sand through my fingertips. And what is much more sustainable are values, right? Like at this point in my life, I run my entire life, my business, my dating, when I, I'm, in a, I'm in the happiest relationship in my life. When I started dating this particular last time, I did values-based dating. I had three core values, right? I wasn't looking for what this person looked like or what kind of job they did or what kind of car they drove or even like what kind of spiritual or therapy work. You know, all that was interesting or, and certainly, you know, notice these things, but none of that was going to decide who I was going to commit in an ongoing relationship. What was driving everything was three core values. And it was wild because my current girlfriend, Eva, we met on February 20th of 2020. And the world shut down on March 16th for COVID. So we went on three dates and I was, we were enjoying each other. And there was like, who's in whose bubble? And she turns to me and said, are you interested in a committed relationship or not? Because I'm trying to figure out who's in my bubble. She has some folks who have some medical you know, issues and um, and are immune compromised. And so we'd only had three dates and suddenly we're talking about like, is this a committed relationship or not? And I said, well, it depends. And she said, what does it depend on? And I told her the three core values. And she looked at me, Carrie, and she said, where have you been all my life? But that comes from knowing yourself. I mean, that's a function Absolutely. of your attraction sphere. That's a function of your ability to attract into your sphere. Like, you know, yourself, that would be compatible with you, but in a different body, you know? <laughs> so it's like, totally. that's beautiful. But those core values helped me give both, they were both useful in my own assessment of what was I looking for, mm-hmm. as well as being able to articulate, I could articulate it so Yay. crisply, right? Or I could go on a coffee date and be like, this is an awesome human and like former gymnast and like super wealthy. And nope, I was out of there in 15 minutes, right? Because nope, this is not the right person. And younger me would have noticed, you know, would have had shiny object syndrome, right? very attractive, like ripped and like very wealthy, but it wasn't a good fit. Like just excuse yourself and move on, right? And so, yes, there's a self, like there's a part of being willing to go inward and I've been a meditator for a long time, (laughs) many, many, many years. And it was also like being able to let the values be the rudder of my life, whether it's work or relationship or friendships or where I live or how I invest my time. When I get busy at other phases of my life, my hand on the rudder got, you know, I would get distracted by shiny objects, even when I didn't want that to happen because I had had painful experiences of, you know, straying from what my own purpose was for. 
and what those core values, that exercise of just really coming up with three or four core values has made running my business so much easier, has made dating just a joy and really enriching. So much of my life got simpler. And that sense of like needing to be positive in the way that that is off. Like, I don't need to go to social media or like give a rah-rah, whatever to somebody who's in a hard place at this point. My core values and my body of work, whether that's how I show up in my relationship or with my friends or in my community or in my business, I find that my optimism is expressed by the things that I'm doing and I don't need to like, it's not that reactive optimism. It's really like, hey, here's somebody who's hurting or hey, here's a person who's doing a good thing that my network could help and it wouldn't take that much for me to introduce them or make a suggestion or, you know, there's things that I already have in place that could add to what they're doing and amplifying without having to give them a rah-rah-rah optimism speech. Yeah, I think, plus, does it need a rah-rah-rah? I mean, I when I look back on my own journey, and this is something I've been really deepening in to this really core shift as a healer is important, is to realize that carrying people does not serve people. Caring for people serves people, but carrying people, or because it's sort of like saying, I'm not sure you can get through this, which is very disempowering, right? It's a disempowering way to look at people. And I, and I think that part of my lifetime purpose is really exploring how can this support model be you know, that we currently call psychotherapy be modified or just replaced altogether with something else. Because essentially it's (laughs) the way that it's structured right now is part of the reason why people are freaking out and having such a hard time is because it's structured to take away the pain. It's structured to make you look for something wrong with yourself that needs fixing. It's structured to create a cycle of fixing. And it's structured to create somebody that's an expert outside of yourself that can help you stop the pain or make it go away and or fix it for you and or all these things, right? But that's actually an antithesis to what the journey actually is. And so we actually need to rewild the whole thing, (laughs) some restructuring. And, you know, I think that people are now overwhelmed with like that system is unsustainable and it's proven now it's unsustainable. People can't even get a session with a psychotherapist that's certified for months now because their model works too slowly and you know it takes years to get better because it's not a coaching model it's not it's not a model that empowers the person it's a disempowerment labeling diagnosing and then using a pill model that is unsustainable and it's false yeah. false things are unsustainable as it turns out false things are unsustainable they are as it turns out <laughs> and i feel grateful like on tuesdays we publish a new episode so this tuesday coming up a week from when we're recording this, there's a fabulous founder named Vashil Patel. And Vashil is a, he's the founder of a, a startup, wonderful organization called Therapy Notebooks. And he was a computer science guy who was like seeing very significant rates of mental health issues. And that's what we do as entrepreneurs. He's like, we got to do something about that. And so he was like, oh, I'm going to build a platform. And he started talking to people. Oh, I don't want more screen time. No, 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 no. I don't want to stare at my phone. No more platforms. No more screen time. It's not going to help. And he's like, I'm a computer guy. What am I going to do? And 
he iterated and iterated and talked to people and talked to, you know, folks who had anxiety and depression and also talked to therapists and psychiatrists. And ultimately what they, I don't have it in front of me, it's downstairs, but what they had, what they came up with, these gorgeous analog journals for different issues. One is, you know, it's all research-based, but it's so, it's crafted with so much care. One for depression, one for anxiety, one for, you know, big change moments of transition in your life. They're really well-crafted. And again, it's just like that's part of the reason I'm really optimistic is because that's what I spend my, oh, here's this person. I have a podcast. I can interview them. If I like it and I have a sense of what they're doing right before I got on this call, three different people listened to an episode that we published today with Valerie Bowden from uh, Cradle, which is an organization that looks to um, help uh, Africans. Both they do ethical outsourcing for like VAs and marketing support, as well as products. Like if you want coffee from Ethiopia, they help people find that. Three different people, literally 15 minutes before I jumped on the call, were like, I listened to that episode, Valerie's off and I need a VA, introduce me, please, right? And I've been piloting, Valerie introduced me to VA and I tried it out and um, her name is Ruth and Ruth has done a fabulous job for me and my business. And um, I can recommend with really good experience that this is a business that over delivers. It doesn't just sound good in the impact, but they're really, you know, therapy notebooks, like 15 year mental health degree and a master's in counseling. I can look at this and say, they've really thought about this. And it's not meant to replace traditional therapy if somebody needs it, but it's a resource that anybody can get right here, right now. And it can augment, or in some cases, maybe you just hit a wobbly spot. And journaling is actually, I'm a research-oriented guy, journal therapy is actually documented to be as effective, not more effective, but as effective as traditional talk therapy. But you don't hear that very often. And maybe some people don't know how to journal. So he found that research, created the re- you know the asset as a whole online source of how to use it. And for like $25 or $30, somebody who's struggling with anxiety and depression can start as soon as they get that notebook in a guided journey around really hard challenges in a very skillful way. That's what I spend my life doing. So people are like, well, well, aren't you freaked out about some of the hard problems that you talk about and that your network talks about? I'm like, I don't like that we're here and I wish we had made different choices so that we could have not had to get here. But here we are and really, really smart people are working on this with their hearts, their souls, their intelligence, their professional knowledge. And that's what I do all day, every day. So no, I, I we may go off a cliff. We might not go off a cliff. I don't know. But every day I wake up, I go to work and these are the kinds of folks that I am here to serve. And at the end of the day, I sleep really good. Yeah, I love that you're saying that. So it's where you're placing your attention. It's where you're placing your focus. You're not watching the nightly news, or maybe you are, but probably not going, oh no, like more stuff's happening. That's terrible. It's like, you're going, okay, what's happening that's working out? What's happening that's solving a problem? That's providing a solution. That's providing a new foundation. That's providing a new option. That is from the heart that is opening up access. And And how can I help? And how can I help support that? Thing that's exactly. out there that's already working. Exactly. <laughs> give it some more notoriety. Give it some more, you know, some more in, people know it about it. Whatever way I can. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're doing that. So that's like a connector dot. You're a connector dot person that's connecting and helping things to grow. 
Yeah, that's great. Best I can. Yeah. It's awesome. And then that's the legacy part of the life, right? So that's like the that's like the elder part. It's like, oh, this is some cool stuff going on here. Really acknowledging what people are doing and celebrating that. And that energy of acknowledgement and celebration is what raises energy anyway. That's what raises consciousness. That's it's the reciprocity of energy back and forth that says, hey, that's really cool. That's really cool what you're doing. I'm happier than any other time in my life, whatever that's worth. <laughs> Works for you. Works, <laughs> Works for everybody. For <laughs> yeah, well, that's awesome. So I know that uh, you have a website, you have awareprinters.com. Of course, I'll put all this in the show notes, everybody. So, you know, you'll get that access. Is there anything that you really, you know, you want to share with anybody? That, you shared so much gold with us already, but is there anything on your heart that you just want to invite people to or that you want to encourage? Just anything you want to share? Yeah. One of the things I'd share, Gary, we didn't talk a lot about it here, but if you look at in a modern economy, most adults spend the majority of our waking hours where? Not with our loved ones, right? Not doing what we love to do, like playing music or I'm a trail runner, right? I went for a three hour long run today, right? But even today, when I went for a three hour long run, I'm going to work more than, you know, I'm going to see my girlfriend today. I'm going to work more than I see her, right? We work more than any other thing except maybe sleeping. And in some cases, not even that. So one of the things that somebody is really thinking about this, like, I want more meaning, I want more purpose, I want that deep resiliency that's less easily shaken. The two suggestions I have is one, take a look at your work and how can you bring whatever your core values are and start to have your work be infused more by that. And if somebody's interested in that, you don't have to be a social entrepreneur for this resource. But I'm, so Awarepreneurs is my podcast and the community site, but my coaching and consulting site is paulzelizer.com. That's my name. And on the homepage there, I have a PDF that's free. That's called the four questions that every social entrepreneur should know. And those questions, you don't have to be a social entrepreneur if you're open to thinking like one. Those questions can help you really reconfigure what your work looks like and have more of that sense of like that steady. Again, a lot of people don't like the name, but the tragic optimism, that long, steady, rich, meaningful sense of resiliency that so many people are hungry for. And if you'd like more of that in your work, you might check out that document. Oh, beautiful. Thank you for that. So I will look up the URL for that and share that also in the in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you being here with us and taking time out of your schedule to, to share a positive message about the world from your perspective as uh, seeing so many beautiful people doing so many beautiful things. And for everybody here, please like and share this out so more people find out about what Paul's doing. You know, share it out. Share it out with people you know that might be inspired by this, that have an idea, but they haven't taken action on it yet. Maybe they'll go to that podcast and go, wow, I can do this too. I should do that thing. It's in my heart. I feel a call. So I welcome you to do it. And and anybody here who's like a little bit like, how do I be more tragic optimistic? Well, you know, I'm happy to help you too, to look at those shadows and start to embrace some of the realities that we're facing in earth. And we also have the conscious dreaming capability to change these things with action, with action from a heart-based place. So I welcome you to have those conversations as well. And I look forward to seeing everybody next week on Soul Nectar Show. Thank you guys. And we're going to give kisses. Oh, I forgot. We're going to give kisses, Paul. Do you mind giving kisses to everybody? I don't mind giving kisses. Here come kisses. I forgot I like to do this. Love you guys so much. Thanks for tuning in and sharing your time with us. Bye for now, everyone. 
If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Take a sip from the drip of the nectar From the source of who you are